degrees. Yeah, Linden, Apple Center, do you have any test operation in restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31, continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra-right, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac 1-1 and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. This is a special show tonight, World War II trivia. Uh, the uh, Lots of the usual gangs here. Also, a couple of my new players. First of all, girls, let me introduce the members of the regular posse. He's with us tonight across the puddle. Get your fan, get your mister, et cetera, et cetera. Very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello. Thank you for the introduction. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, girls, ladies, gentlemen, and all ships at sea. Welcome to the show tonight. Good to see you. Awesome. Good to hear from you, Mac, and uh, glad yes. to be on the show as always. How long have you been in, in England now? Uh, be a year and a couple of months. So not quite a year. Yep. And you missed the U.S. terribly, I'm still, right? I'm still trying to convert uh, centigrade to Fahrenheit real quick in my head. Okay. All and right. it, they use military time around here everywhere. Do they really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they do. No, that always I mixes up. Yep. But hey, listen. Except on the-, the old church clocks that were, you know, churches that were built, you know, in medieval this. times, there's still uh, Roman numerals 1 through 12. That makes it even tougher. But everybody, everybody else uses military time. Look I blame at, the Americans. I do, too. On the plus side, the food is so good, right? Bangers and mash, you can't beat it. In the bangers stu- and mash and Guinness. And, yeah. Uh, I've seen a couple yeah. movies that with that title. Listen, I do in like the studio. Fish and chips, so I'm a, I always like fish I do and too. chips. I do, too. In the studio about, with us is how, the very... How about, how about Spotted Dick? Do you like that? Now, we're going to... Really? <laughs> not a fan. Clean, we're so two minutes into the show. It is clean. I hung uh, in the studio with us, currently where fingers in her ears is the very lovely Lois Lane. Lois. Which, which is hard to do when you have headphones on. There you go. Where's my uh, special effects? <laughs> Lois, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. Always glad to help out. You're going to be the scorekeeper? I am ready to go. It's going to be like the girl walking around the... Yes, yes with the... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll see. Maybe. In our dreams. Also with us is um, Jim Frankel, my literary agent down there in North Carolina. Jim, how you doing? Happy to be here from sunny North Carolina, Chapel Hill. In morning because the uh, Mets' best pitcher is out for the year uh, because he tore his Achilles or is something in a, in a celebration in the World Baseball. Yeah, it Come wasn't on. his fault. Yeah, it he, wasn't his fault. He's not their best pitcher, though. Either Scherzer one or Verlander is their best pitcher. He's but one the best of them. closer, though. Yeah, yeah, best, yeah, yeah, okay. Jeez. And now he's gone. And where are you going to get another one of him, you know? I think they're going to trade for Josh Hader. Okay. That would be good. Hmm. Anyway, yep. also with us is uh, Phil O'Banes, Mr. Monopoly. He's the uh, past uh, present, president and owner. I know you have some kind of title right now, Phil, with uh, Winning Moves. Vice, chair, vice Chairman. Vice, yep. And explain what Winning Moves is all about. Well, Winning Moves is a, a 27-year-old company that specializes in marketing 
the classic edition of most of the games that you'll remember with fondness when you were younger, uh, be it um, Monopoly, Scrabble, Clue, Risk, Boggle, Yahtzee, uh, Yahtzee, and, and of course the a Ouija lot of children's board. games mm. played, including Barrel of Monkeys and uh, Candyland. My favorite, oh, Slip and Slide. Let's not forget and Slip, slip and, slide. and Slide. Correct, Jim. In the in the Ouija board. I'm looking right at them. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the warm weather. Right. You bet. And um, so it, in the Ouija board also, Phil, right? And the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in times... It's controversial. A lot of people place undue significance behind the Ouija uh-huh. board. <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. But the, and the, for good reason. But the sales go up. When All my career moves, Ouija board. Really? really? Yeah, me too. And here we are. <laughs> anyway. Also joining us tonight is uh, Doug Bowler, a good friend of ours from... Um, Local and new report. Doug, thanks for joining us. Doug is my uh, attorney. Not that it makes any difference, but he's also military intelligence during the Vietnam era. Doug, how you doing? Hey, good. Good to be here. Um, and also uh, joining us is uh, Bill Ivey, who we're going to give a round of applause to, joining us for the first time. Retired Army Ranger. He doesn't want to tell us to tell everyone that he's a colonel, but he's representing <laughs> uh, Homes for Our Troops tonight. Homes for Our Troops has been a charity for a long time. What they do is they take donations and they build homes for veterans um, of post-9-11 uh, combat, so Iraq and Afghanistan, and they build these homes that are adapted to the injuries that they might have came home to with. And then when the home is finished, they tear up the mortgage, they give them the keys, and uh, they can go and live hopefully near normal life without having to worry about a mortgage over their, over their heads every month. How's that, Bill? That's pretty good. We might have to uh, get you on payroll here, Mac. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Being here. How many homes have you built so far? Uh, we just finished up number 353. Uh, that was in Pennsylvania this last weekend, and we have another 76 projects that are in various stages of either land search, permitting, engineering plans, and about 20-some that are under physical construction. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I, personally, I don't think – I think the government should be doing it, but they're not, so you guys are doing it. I think it's a really incredible – Mm. Uh, organization at 88 cents of your dollar, excuse me, goes right to our veterans. So, um, you know, that's good too. So thanks, Bill, for joining us tonight. So whoever wins tonight, it's a $100 prize, and you know, Lois, and she's surprised. And the protocol is then to donate it to Homes for Our Troops. Absolutely. Okay, all right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a very quick break now, and we'll be right back, and we'll start World War II trivia. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Excellence Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the, the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit HFOTUSA.org.
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. We have a World War II trivia show for you tonight. Let me introduce uh, the participants. First of all, the lovely Lois Lane is here in the studio with us. Hi, everybody. Double it's exciting L. to be here. Mm-hmm. We're excited you're here. <laughs> also across the puddle is uh, Juan Juan in uh, southern England. Hello, everybody. JJ. Good to be here. Are you getting any uh, trace of English accent? Or are you going to avoid that? Uh, so far, I've uh, maintained my semi-Boston, New Hampshire, Charlestown, Cambridge accent. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Because every time I walk up to somebody, I say, are you American? Mm-hmm. Well, huh. hmm. what do you say? Boston? Yeah, well, I can see them saying that. Uh, also with us is um, uh, Phil Lebanes, who is a Mr. Monopoly and also past vice president of Winning Moves, a company that makes all your really um, favorite vintage games from when you were a kid, and also Luigi Boone. Uh, my um, literary agent, yeah. my literary agent uh, Jim Frankel's here. Jim, past participant. I'm glad to be here from the south. From like the one one. Well, not quite the south. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Also, um, Doug Bullock, a good friend of ours, ex uh, Army intelligence in the Vietnam era. Doug, how you doing? Good, good. You having fun yet? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crack open a couple of Manhattans, and you know. But anyway, that's another show. Also. Uh, Bill Ivey, who is um, here from Homestar Troops, which we are playing the game for tonight. $100 goes to the winner. Hopefully, they'll donate it to Homestar Troops. Just Google them, see what they're about. So I think it's time to start. Lois, what do you say? We're saying? ready. Let's go. i take off my shades and read it. <laughs> All right, so. Does everybody know the rules and how it's going to go? This, yeah, it's, it's everyone just takes a guess. They're all multiple choice. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Okay, so. Okay? Um, how does everybody indicate their choice? Everyone just, you know, I read the question and go on the honor system. You know, I have my, uh, you know, they write it down, write it down. I okay. have my question. I have my answer. Show us. All right. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. Now, I don't know whether, um, you know, sometimes, yeah, I can start with this one, I guess. Sometimes it might be a little too detailed. I don't know. No, it's it's all good. You really? Stick not? with it. Yep. Okay, if you it's say because so. it's in, it, the, people listening will be informed if they don't already know some of the, oh. the yeah. Lois, I got a feeling I'm getting eked out of my job here. You want to you want to change the name of the show? <laughs> I did not. I just said I would help I'm, you. With I'm, that. I'm 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 yeah, all for change it. Change how we kept how we keep score. Yep, I, yeah, <laughs> no. she wants to do the intro. Oh my goodness! <laughs> all right, here we go. Adolf Hitler was many things: a mass murderer, a psychopath, and a best-selling author. Which of the following was he not? Okay, which. One of these things was Hitler not. A, a vegetarian. B, a teetotaler. C, a Lutheran. D, a car enthusiast. So what was Hitler not? A vegetarian, a teetotaler, a Lutheran, or a car enthusiast? Just write down your name. Go ahead. Do you have a question, Doug? How do we? we... Write write, write it down and then raise your hand, and then you're just going to read it off the paper. So we're just trusting you to have your answer done. He was not a Lutheran. Uh, Okay, we're going to him first. Okay. Dyke says not a Lutheran. Jim. I say he wasn't a car enthusiast. Okay. Bill. I'll say he was not a vegetarian. Phil. I say C, he wasn't a Lutheran. Juan, Juan, want to take a guess? I think he wasn't a car enthusiast either. The answer is, is uh, he was not a Lutheran. Oh. Hitler was Oof. born Catholic. He only ate vegetables, 
and never drank alcohol. He loved cars and owned a number of high-end Benz's Roadsters when he was in power. Um, he also made his millions, uh, Phil and I talked about this off air, from the book royalties from Mein Kampf. Because well, when he came into power, he made everyone buy it. And <laughs> yep. We were trying to figure out how much it was, Phil. It was, um, in, it was in today's lot. dollars, $1.3 billion in book royalties. Whoa. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine his, his agent getting 15% of that. He didn't have an agent. He didn't. Oh, wow. He didn't yeah, need. He didn't need an agent. Or maybe, or maybe he did and then killed the agent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about that wow. fun fact you have? Fun fact. Uh, we've said this before. Hitler was once diagnosed with "quote unquote" colossal flatulence, <laughs> and would frequently clear out meeting rooms, restaurants, and even entire halls as a result. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Really bad flatulence. Okay. Really smelly flatulence. I'm surprised you're not doing your little yeah oh, fun sound. I'm trying effect. to be serious, but why bother? Oh, now? I thought there was like a sound effect for that on there. That was it. That's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, who, who got that right? Uh, uh, Doug and Phil. Doug and Phil. Okay. They get a point. I'm just going to write down correct answers. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two. These are two questions in a row about George Patton. General George Patton died on December 21st. 1945, 12 days after his chauffeur Cadillac hit an army truck near Mannheim, Germany, severing his spinal cord and paralyzing him from the neck down. Where was Patton going when this accident occurred? A, bird hunting. B, to ride his horse Big Red. C, to a former SS health spa turned into a retreat for senior U.S. military officers. D, to a secret meeting with Eisenhower to discuss his retirement. So when he was in this accident... December 21st, 1945, where was he going? Bird hunting, to ride his horse, to a spa, uh, to a secret meeting with Ike to discuss his retirement. Who wants to go first? It's a tough one. (laughs) Multiple choice. I'll go first. Go ahead. Uh, Bird hunting. Okay, bird hunting. Go ahead. Doug? Yeah, I'm going to totally guess the SS Spa. Okay. Doug is a D. Jim? I figure he was going to ride his horse. Ride his horse. Okay, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, Phil? I think I think it's B. He's going, he was riding, looking forward to riding his horse. And the horse. Lonnie? Yeah, I agree with the riding the horse routine. Uh, the answer is A, uh, bird hunting. Oh. Whoa. Knowing he was depressed by the inevitable end of his military career, Patton's chief of staff invited him to go pheasant hunting that day. As they were en route, Patton noticed dozens of wrecked automobiles littering the roadway and said, "Wah is such a waste. The accident occurred a few seconds later. Wow. And then he died 12 days after that. Okay, second question. How old was Patton when he died? How old was Patton when he died? A, 49, B, 52, C, 56, D, 60. How old was he? 49, 52, 56, or 60? Doug, you want to go first? Sure. Total guess, 56. Jim? Yeah, I, I think he might have been 56 also. Okay. Bill? Was, was 56 C? Yes. yes. Yeah, I also think 56. Bill? I think he was 60. Juani? I, I chose C as well. Was that 56? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Answer yep. is he was 60. 
His birthday was <laughs> November eleventh. November eleventh, eighteen eighty-five. Oh. Yeah. He just turned sixty, kind of. Beginner select. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody get any points on the ride a horse? I mean, the, uh, yeah, Bill got. Bill said. Yeah, Bill did. Yep. Bill got, got the last yep. two. He got the last bird two. Bird hunting. Mm -hmm. Okay, retire now. <laughs> exactly. Quit while you're ahead, right? Oh, hey, we're, we're, coming, we're getting it all done. Okay, here we go. I mean, there was. Uh, we're gonna have one more question, and then first probably over. Okay. Uh, this one will be um, okay. In 1942, Bell Aircraft began developing the P-59 Aero Comet, the first jet engine fighter designed by the United States. The P-59 was so secret, it had a fake wooden propeller attached to its nose, so onlookers wouldn't notice anything odd about it when it was on the ground. But it was different when the P-59 was in the air. On seeing it, any other airborne pilot would know right away that this was not a typical airplane and thus blow its cover. Wow. How did the U.S. military solve this problem? Okay, we got the problem. A, they only flew it at night. B, they only flew it over the Arctic. C, they covered it with proto-stealth light-absorbing paint. D, they dressed the test pilots as gorillas, so any pilots flying ordinary airplanes would report <laughs> seeing a fast-moving airplane without a propeller being flown by a gorilla. I'll read those again. <laughs> oh. Okay. They only flew, it's the first jet fighter by the United States in 1942. They only flew it at night. They only flew it over the Arctic. They covered it with pre-stealth light-absorbing paint. They dressed their test pilots in gorilla suits, so any pilots flying ordinary airplanes would report seeing a fast-moving plane without a propeller being flown by a gorilla. <laughs> I like the gorilla. <laughs> Doug, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm going to vote for gorilla. I mean, it seems ludicrous. On the other hand, it would invalid if any any pilot reported seeing this. Uh, if he reported he saw a gorilla, it would invalidate his uh, report. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, okay. Uh, please, Jim. I I agree with du with Doug. I, I you know it's just absurd enough that I can see somebody in the arm in, in the Air Force or the <laughs> Army Air Force saying, "Yeah." Okay. I got an idea. Let's have them dress up like gorillas. Okay. Bill, please. Bill? I'm going to have to go with the Arctic. With the Arctic. Uh, the night would make a lot of sense. You would think they'd want to test it in daylight before they put them up at night, which, of course, has additional issues. Right, yeah. Okay, over the Arctic. Phil? I think they're all, they're all out in left field, but I think D is zany enough to be correct. Okay. Speaking of zany, one one. I'm going with the the, the technology pre stealth uh, paint. Really? Okay. Ah. Okay, Lois. I don't think they had it that early. Okay, here we go. Who knows what they had? Yeah, that's true. I'm right. sorry. That's can true. I just? <clears throat> what did Phil say? Phil. I said D. D. The gorilla. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. The answer is D. <laughs> Bell test pilot Jack Willems came up with the idea and often flew the P-59 in a gorilla suit That's with a derby crazy. hat while smoking a cigar. Let me do that again. <laughs> Fun fact. That's wild. Two pilots. It wasn't a great plane as I remember. Right. It's just a real, real just kind of uh, experimental plane and all. Yeah. Fun fact, you did it at night over the Arctic, right? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. 
There's a movie about this. It's called Gorillas Over the Arctic. There, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if there wasn't, there should be. Well, they sh it should star a psychiatrist because, fun fact, two pilots who were exposed to the prank were later convinced by the Army Air Force psychologist that they hadn't really seen a gorilla flying in the plane because, quote, Everyone knows you can't fly without a propeller. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's your military logic. Okay. All right, so that's the first round. Why don't we give ourselves a hand that we will... Uh, do you want to hear, like, the standings yes, before we, we go? Go ahead, yeah. please. Okay, so after round one, Bill has two points. Two points. Doug has two points. Mm -hmm. And Jim and Phil each have one point. Wow, okay. All right, and so one, close game. What's one? What's one? Oh, well, I put him with... Okay. Oh, I had because they're like a goose egg. He's yeah. part of it. <laughs> How many points do you have me down for, Doreen? I have you down for one. Did well, I? I've got two. I think he's two. I got C on the first one. Oh, yeah. I'm so I didn't circle that. Sorry, I have you down as C, but I didn't circle it. Sorry. Yep, wow. I wow. have you too. Sorry. Don't we can cut it out if you want. All right, so it's a tight game. <laughs> so yes, cut out that mistake, please. Okay. Why don't we take a quick break now, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Macaloni's Miltrex on show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I knew I had to be strong. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. We build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access and automatic door openers that allow them to focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. Visit HFOTUSA.org. Went to Mac Maloney's Mill Trucks, my show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. We're in the middle of our uh, one of our World War II trivia contest shows. Let me very quickly introduce the members of the posse. For in the studio with us is the very lovely Lois Lane, helping us out tonight. Lois. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Plus, plus she's driving. <laughs> also, uh, across the pond, there is uh, a good friend, Wani. Juan, Juan. Hello, top of the afternoon with, with everybody. Is it evening? It is evening there, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's still light out. We don't know. Also, my literary agent, Jim Frankel, down there in North Carolina. Jim Bowen, how you know? Okay. Howdy. All bummed out about the Mets. Uh, also, uh, a good friend, Doug Bullock, ex-military uh, intelligence, Army military intelligence during the Vietnam War. Doug, how you doing? Hey, good evening, everybody. Was it everything that you thought it was going to be and more? <laughs> wow. Let me record it. He's laughing so hard. He can't speak. expectations. We got it. <laughs> Perfect response, Doug. Also with, us, <laughs> also with us is uh, Bill Ivey, uh, former ranger, uh, army ranger, and he was a colonel. Doesn't want anyone to know it, but here we are. And he's also mm -hmm. representing Homestar Troops tonight. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here and happy to represent Homestar Troops. It's mm -hmm. a great organization. Just uh, give, give us your plug, okay? It's probably way better than mine. Please tell us what it's about. So Homes for Troops is a nonprofit organization that builds and donates specially adapted custom homes 
nationwide for the most severely injured veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan to enable them to rebuild their lives. So a couple of things that make us different than most organizations. One is we keep nearly 90 cents of every, every dollar going to the mission. Mm-hmm. Two, the main one is we stay in contact with our guys and gals for life. So it's not here's the home. Good luck. It's yes. welcome to the family. We're going to be there for you down the road. Wherever, whatever challenges you have, we can't help you. We'll link you up with an organization that can. Yes. And of course, uh, building where the veteran wants to live is key because we don't expect our guys and gals to ever have to move again. So it's uh, truly an opportunity to help the American people. We pay a debt to these guys and cows that were so badly injured in Iraq and Afghanistan. So we're proud to uh, help the American people repay pay that debt and help these men and women get moving again and moving forward with rebuilding their lives. Let's go. Let's go. I've wow. joined up as a, as a donor, and I'm very glad to be involved. Yeah, they're great. They're great, and they're and they're kind of local too, so which makes it even more fun. So mm-hmm. why don't we do this? Why don't we get back to the uh, trivial contest? I've yes. introduced everybody, right? You have. <laughs> so we're on round two. Okay, round two. At the end of round one, we have a three-way tie, with Bill having two points, Doug slash Juan having two points, Phil having two points, and. Jim has one right now. But there's a long way to go. Here we it's go. a tight game. Just call me Beetlebaum. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Beetlebaum. Um, okay, here we go. During the latter half of World War II in the Pacific, in desperate to stop the American tide, the Japanese government turned to kamikaze squadrons, suicide planes loaded with explosives and flown by pilots trained to crash into U.S. Navy ships. It's estimated there were about 37 hundred kamikaze planes in all, but how many of these kamikazes actually reached their target? A, 14%, B, 30%, C, 50%, D, 65%. So 3,700 kamikaze planes in all, how many actually made it to their target? 14%, 30%, 50%, 65%. Okay, we'll give everybody a second to think about that. Mm. Okay, I'm going to say 65%. Doug says 65. Jim, please. I'm going to say 30%. 30%. Bill, please. I say 30%. Bill Ivey, please. I would say 14% with a nod to those Navy gunners. Mm. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking about that. uh, One. Yeah, I'm saying 14% as well. Okay. A lot of them came close, but uh, boom, think of time. See you later. Okay, the answer is, yes, A, 14%. To successfully complete their missions, kamikazes had to avoid radar detection, airborne interception, and massive anti-aircraft barrages, so only about 14% of kamikazes survived to score hit on a ship. Still, these suicide attackers sank 34 U.S. Navy ships, Damaged 368 others and killed about 4,900 American sailors. Wow. Wow, is right. Okay. Lucky it was only 14% then. So who uh, yeah, really. Juan got well, So we have Bill and Juan receiving a point for that question okay. about kamikazes. Okay, here we go. On the morning of D Day, June 6, 1944, 34,000 Allied troops stormed the Normandy coast to begin the liberation of Europe from the Nazis. The Allies attacked five code named beaches. The American landed on Omaha and Utah Beach beaches. The British landed on Gold and Sword beaches, and the Canadians landed on Juneau Beach. Omaha Beach was the scene of the worst fighting. More than a thousand Americans killed, 
1,200 wounded or missing, all in just one day. This included U.S. Army Ranger team that had to scale the cliffs of Point de Hoc to battle German soldiers who were firing on the troops landing below. Because of this brutal but heroic fighting, Omaha Beach has been the focus of many D-Day movies, including The Longest Day and Saving Private Ryan. What invasion beach suffered the fewest killed that day? Hmm. Is it? Want me to? A, Juno, B, Sword, C, Utah, D, Gold. Omaha was the worst beach of them all. Which one was, had the lightest casualties, let's say? There you go. A, Juno, B, Sword, C, Utah, D, Gold. Doug? I'll just guess Sword. Jim? I'm going to say Juno. Hang on, let's go. Hang on. Tim? Juno. Bill? Bill Ivy? Juno. Phil? Yeah, I also say Juno. Juan? I'm going to pick gold because I've never heard of it. Hmm. It's where the bridge landed. Good reason. Uh, Okay. The answer is C, Utah Beach. Wow. Quote, unquote, only 197 Americans killed the first day due to Germans, uh, the Germans' comparatively light defenses. Right, this is a fact, wow. not a fun fact. What was the age, average age of the American soldier landing on Normandy that day? Oh, my God. 19 or something. Let's say 18. Yeah. 19. Yes, it was 20. I was going to say 20, yeah. Close enough. Man, if, can you if imagine? you've never been to the, ceremony, I mean, to the cemetery on Omaha Beach, and you look at the tombstones, it's just so heartrending to see how many of them were 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, when you see, when you think about it, you always think that they're grown men, but they're not. They're kids. Mm. Huh. Okay. So nobody scored on that one. No one scored on that one. Hmm. No one scored. No one scored. Okay. Another fun fact on that is, is the... U.S. was looking at the divisions to go ashore. The 1st Infantry Division was the only one that had been in combat, and they'd been in North Africa and Italy, mm-hmm. uh, Sicily, and uh, 29th and the 4th were not. And they deliberately picked uh, the other two for not having combat experience, not having had to do an amphibious assault, because they wanted them going in not knowing what they were going to go into. Oh. Obviously, 1st ID knew that they'd done a number of... Uh, Amphibious assaults in right. Italy, but uh, uh, that was, and of course, uh, the the two had hit uh, hit Omaha, got shoot up pretty badly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when you look. I mean, you know, we've seen many movies about it. I've read books about it. We all have. It's it's just to me. I don't understand. I know they wanted to keep Normandy kind of a secret, and they did fool the Germans to the, for the most part. But why didn't they just you know cop and bomb it with? Heavy bombers, you know what I mean? Just do that for about a week and... And then go in. And then you Well, will... apparently the, the, uh, the artillery and the bombers missed their mark and they hit behind the beach. Well, and so the defenses were largely untouched on Omaha. Well, good thing we have smart bombs these days. Then. So, okay, here we go. Is this number three? <clears throat> this is the third question of round two. Okay, yes, indeed. <clears throat> Happy St. Patrick's Day. Ready? Oh, wait a minute. What did you? Yeah, no, hang on. Right, you go. can't say anything about what it was because. Oh, go ahead. Okay. During World War One, German agents carried out more than fifty acts of sabotage on American soil, blowing up railroad tracks, warehouses, piers, and shipyards. 
Most of these attacks occurred in the vicinity of New York Harbor, the most famous being the sabotage of Black Tom Pier on July 29, 1916, which devastated a waterfront ammunition storage facility, sank five ships, shook buildings as far away as New Jersey. However, during World War II, there were no acts of German sabotage in New York Harbor or anywhere along the East Coast. What changed? Okay. A, the city of New uh, City of New Report. I don't <laughs> think so. Here no. we go. A, the city of New York installed dozens of light towers all over the harbor, keeping it well lit throughout the war. B, the U.S. Navy increased its patrols off in New York City. C, the U.S. government made a deal with the mafia to protect all U.S. seaports. D. Hitler ordered that no sabotage should happen in New York for fear of alienating the city's larger German-American population. Read them again, honey. uh, (laughs) Sorry, Lois. Wow, cut that out. (laughs) A, the city of New York installed dozens of light towers all over the harbor, keeping it well lit throughout the year, uh, throughout the war. B, the U.S. Navy increased its patrols off of New York City. C, the U.S. government made a deal with the mafia to protect all U.S. seaports. D. Hitler ordered that no sabotage should happen in New York for fear of alienating the city's large German-American population. We're going to go to one one first. Now, remember, in World War I, there were a number of these kind of actions, sabotage actions on the, in the American East Coast. Number two, uh, in World War II, there were none. Why one one? Patrols. More patrols by the U.S. Navy. Phil or Baines, Why? Um, I am going to say D. It was bidding against Hitler's order. Okay. Bill Ivey, please. Although the Navy uh, picked up patrols and did a darn good job, I'm pretty sure to have a shutout, uh, Hitler ordered it. Okay. D. Jim. Yeah, I think it's D because um, Hitler had this thing about not alienating, you know, the German population of, uh, of the United States. Doug, please. Yeah, I'm going to vote for that too. Non-alienation rationale. Okay. Wow! 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 I'm very surprised there. No one got it. Uh, it's um. See. Lighting. Hang on. Oh. Lighting doesn't make any Hang sense. Hang on a second. Okay. True, it doesn't. Here it is. It's ant- the answer is C. The mafia protected our ports during World War Two. What? In 19- Get out. Yes. My God. Man, I've known this since kindergarten. No, not really. Oh. In 1942, the U.S. Navy realized it did not have enough resources to protect American ports. So they made a deal with New York mob boss, Lucky Luciano, who, although he was still in jail, he was in jail at the time, still controlled the unions that ran the New York waterfront. In exchange for allowing him to continue to run his business from behind bars, Luciano ordered these union members to patrol the waterfronts and take care of anyone they deemed, quote-unquote, suspicious. In addition, crews of hundreds of fishing boats uh, that also used New York Harbor were told to be on the lookout for German U-boats, thus creating a huge early warning network off the northern part of the U.S. East Coast. I want to read the you fun know, fact. I should have known this was the answer because I've seen that movie all through the night yeah. twice. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That's what they did, and then he wound up in a barrel off of Miami about 10 years later. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Doreen so, has a, I mean, uh, Lois has a fun fact. Fun fact. There were only two direct attacks on American soil during World War II. On February 2nd, 1942, a Japanese sub fired 12 rounds at the Elwood Oil Field near Santa Barbara, California, causing only minor, minor damage. On June 21st, 1942, another Japanese sub fired 17 shells at Fort Stevens, a Civil War-era installation located in Oregon near the mouth 
of the Columbia River, also causing no damage. There were also indirect attacks by Japanese balloons filled with incendiaries that were launched toward the Pacific Northwest with the intention of crashing and starting forest fires. But these were also ineffective. So, yeah, there was that that attack in uh, February is what caused what they call the Battle of uh, Los Angeles, where all the air defenses went crazy that night, shooting up at stuff. There's some really intriguing photographs of what they were shooting at. But I think we have to say goodbye to Doug. Doug. Do we? I'm afraid so. This is fascinating stuff. Well, join us again next time. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And we'll see you down the coma. Let's get down the coma soon, you Mm -hmm. and me. Okay? Thanks, Doug. Take care, Doug. Bye, Doug. Thanks for coming. Goodbye, Doug. He didn't answer me about the coma. (laughs) He's he's on to the next Manhattan. So thank God for John Belushi. Why? Why? Oh, with that movie, that terrible movie, 1940. Yes, that terrible movie. Terrible by that terrible director, Steven Spielberg. That one. I love that movie. That's a terrible movie. He's a he's a hack. He's a hack. He can't do it. Terrible. Uh, anyway, okay, so, so um, that was only three questions. Let's go to four, and uh, Juan now has the uh, weight of the cross on his. That's role. right, but nobody scored on that one either. No one so scored on that. We have to step it up, gentlemen. Are the questions too hard? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but at the end of they're, um, too, too, they're too clever. They're yeah, too clever. Oh, thank you, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, really, the, who would have thought the mafia, right? I don't know. I should have gotten that right. It's been, mm-hmm. I really should have. It's been around. Okay, here we go. All right, so we have one last question for this round, right, hon? We have. <laughs> wow. That's okay. Okay, all right. Well, we, we end on I guess now. the cat's out of the bag on that one. So, um, yes, we have one more question for this round. Okay. This one is really deep. Ready? Ooh, deep Real question. deep. All right, here we go. <laughs> Obscure might be the word. All right, here we go. The Luftwaffe's Heinkel H-111 was one of the most widely produced German bombers at the beginning of World War II. Famous for seeing action during the Battle of Britain, it could carry as many bombs as a B-17, its cockpit was entirely enclosed in glass, and was used for everything from transporting troops to torpedoing Allied warships. But one unusual thing set the HE-111 apart from other similar-sized bombers of the time. What was it? Who came up with this one? All right, here we go. Ready? So why is the Heinkel, which is very famous in, in Battle of Britain, anytime you see pictures or in the movies... They're usually Heinkels that are bombing them, causing the blitz. Okay, so A, it had no co-pilot. B, its fuel tanks were carried on the outside of the fuselage. C, it was airtight and could land on water and not sink. D, it was originally designed to deliver a small nuclear weapon. Hmm. Okay, what was different about the Heinkel? It had no co-pilot. Its fuel tanks were carried on the outside of the fuselage. It was airtight and could land on water and not sink. It was originally designed to deliver a small nuclear weapon. We're starting with you, Jim. Uh, I'm going to say the uh, fuel tanks were on the outside. Okay. Okay. Bill Ivey, please. I'm going to go with fuel tanks also. Okay. Juan Juan. Yes, fuel tank. Fuel tanks on the outside. Phil, Phil LaBain. I say A, no co-pilot. The answer is A, no co-pilot. Unlike many bombers, the HE-111 did not have a step-up cockpit. The fuselage was basically one long tube with a pointed nose, leaving room only for one pilot up front. It was basically set up like a fighter with a bomber in back of the cockpit. Okay, so that's our second round. One other fact about the HE-111 is that Spain uh, got a lot of them from the Germans and um, 
kept them in service mm-hmm. after the war. And if you recall the movie Patton, okay. there mm-hmm. are two bombers in that movie. That's all you ever see. Right. Uh, German planes, and they were both Heinkels borrowed from the Spanish Air Force. Mm. Wow, yeah. No, they kept them going for a long, long time. They were good, and they were originally designed as an airliner. You know, it was like a 1930s airliner that they turned into a bomber. So, yeah, interesting. Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, see what the score is. Lois, please. Well, we have a very tight game. Here we go. We have Bill, Doug slash Juan, and Phil all tied at three. Three. And Jim has one. Jim has one. For this round, right? No. T- total. No, total. Together. Wow. Yeah. All right, the questions are too hard. Should I just should we start no, again with? <laughs> They're not too hard. It's, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all getting we're an education. It's the audience guessing. Okay. Exactly. And uh, it's... Well, we do that anyway. So, Okay. All right. So let's start part three, right? Round three. Okay. Here we go. And maybe we should double the points. I'm only kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel the vibe. She wants to... <laughs> Lois Lane, <laughs> Military Exiles. Okay, here we go. Uh, Hitler had a German shepherd named Blondie. Stalin had a black Russian terrier named Tishka. FDR had a Scottish terrier named Fala and was also fond of cats. Winston Churchill had a pet bulldog, a pet poodle, several pet fish, and two pet swans. What kind of pet did Benito Mussolini have? Okay. A. Pet and nephew. A rabbit named Dulcezia. B. Dulcezia. B. Dulcezia. A lion named Raz. C. A parrot named Tony. D. He didn't own a pet. Okay, so uh, what kind of pet did Mussolini have? A rabbit, a lion, a parrot, or he didn't own one? We'll go to, uh, why don't we go to Phil or Baines first? Hmm. I got to hear them one more time before I. A rabbit? Because I thought, I thought he had a different type of pet than okay. you'd listed. Okay. All right. Uh, a rabbit named Dolceza, a lion named Raz, a parrot named Tony, and D, he didn't have a pet. All these other guys had pets. Hmm. Well, I'm going to say D, because I thought he had a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he might have had a I chicken. I wears it sometimes, sometime, but he had a pet chicken, so... Mussolini, Mussolini after dark. Okay, so uh, all right, D for Phil. Uh, Juan, what do you say? I'm kind of a lion named Raz. Okay. <laughs> Jim, what do you say? Uh, I'm tempted to say he had a, a pet named Tony, but I don't think he had a pet. A parrot named Tony. Yeah. Okay. Slightly yeah, racist, but it's okay. D. Bill Ivy, please. I'll go with D. No pet. Okay. All right, we got everyone, right? We have everyone. D, 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 and a B. And the answer is B. He had a pet lion named Raz. Uh, what? The Italian dictator would frequently ride around Rome in his open-top limousine with Raz on a leash next to him. While some historians claim Mussolini was close to the lion, others say the animal was just a propaganda prop. As Mussolini's favorite quote was, it is better to live one day as a lion than 100 years as a sheep. Hmm. Okay, so Juan, he got that. Yeah, he did. Okay. He just moved into the lead. Wow. Juan, what's happening? Okay. How many questions do we have? Uh, well, three? because he's Italian and I'm half Italian, that's I was plugged into that question. Okay, well, yeah. All right. So you had an advantage. <laughs> is, that, is that an unfair advantage? Yes, it is. <laughs> Minus him, too. I, I thought he had a parrot named Pizza, but then well, <laughs> what do I know? Also, slightly racist. Okay. All right, so here we go. 
which of the following was not the name of a U.S. submarine during World War II? Hmm. Not the name. Which was the fo- which of the following was not the name of a U.S. submarine during World War II? A. The USS Blower. B. The USS Catchalot. C. The USS Croker. D. The USS Tuna Fish. Jim, you go first. Uh, could you repeat the, those no. names again? USS Blower, USS Catchalot, USS Croker. Oh, wait, spe- spell that one, the second one? Yeah, it's uh, C-A-T-C-H-A-L-O-T, Catchalot. USS Croker and, or the USS Tuna Fish. I'm going to say Tuna Fish. Okay, Juan Juan. Yeah, Tuna Fish. He happens to be eating a Tuna Stupid Fish man. sandwich right now. So that's, isn't that synchronicity? Mm-hmm. Looks like Tuna Fish. Bill Ivey, what do you say? Or is it uh, Chung King or whatever? <laughs> really? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Catch-A-Lot. Catch-A-Lot, okay. Phil? I'll go with Tuna Fish. Okay. All right, we got everyone? Uh, Jim, Jim, I just want to make sure you said... Tuna Fish. Tuna Fish, that's yeah. what I have. Okay. okay. The answer is Tuna Fish. Yeah, yeah. you know why? <laughs> the idea of them saying Tuna Fish... Yes. Right, it, that's what... Yeah, but there's millions, part. but a, a lot yeah. of those submarines during World War II were called sailfish and glassfish and moonfish. They had let fish yeah, but, at the end. But tuna is not called tuna fish, It's it, except by people buying cans of it. <laughs> what, would you, what do you call it? Albacore? Off just the USS the Tuna. Up in the yeah, it's not the US, USS Albacore is up in Portsmouth, right? USS Tuna, maybe. Anyway. USS Yellowfin. Oh, there we yeah. go. Yeah. That's actually a submarine. Okay, here we go. Are you... And the Japanese had a, a submarine called Aho. Aho? Aho. Or, or is it Ahi? Oh, Ahi. Here we go. The fish is Ahi. I don't know what to call right. submarine. Yeah, <laughs> I was kidding, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> we'll take a word for it. the left track soundtrack. Yeah, don't worry. We're going to put it in this one. <laughs> uh, here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> Which of these Hollywood celebrities was not decorated for service in World War II? Okay, which of these celebrities was not decorated for service in World War II? A, John Wayne. B, Jimmy Stewart. C, Clark Gable. D, Eddie Albert. Which of these Hollywood celebrities was not decorated for service in World War II? John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Clark Gable, Eddie Albert. Jim? Uh, I'm going to say Clark Gable. Okay, one one. John Wayne. Okay. Bill Ivey. I will go with John Wayne, but he made up for it with all the roles he played in his many movies. He's done a lot of war movies, that's <laughs> true. Phil. John Wayne. Okay. The answer is John Wayne. Although he made numerous war films, Wayne never joined the military or experienced a moment in combat. When the war broke out, he already had four children. How old was he? Wow. And was really? excused from the draft as a hardship case. At the same time, his style was rising in Hollywood. Even though he said he intended on joining the military at some point in the war, he never did. Jimmy Stewart was a pilot during the war and afterwards and was awarded, literally awarded so many medals for his service then and beyond the two numerous dimension. It goes on for like pages. He's an amazing guy. Clark Gable joined the Army Air Force after the death of his wife, actress Carol Lombard, and flew more than 20 missions as a second lieutenant and later a captain in B-17s. Real missions, you know, not just PR missions. Right. Mm. 
But here's the one. Eddie, I've, I've known this, but I never really read a lot about it. Eddie Albert of Green Acres and many other TV and movie credits was awarded the Bronze Star for his heroic actions rescuing more than 100 stranded Marines under intense Japanese fire during the Battle of Tarawa. This does not do justice to what he did, so I urge everyone out there to Google. Eddie Al- Google. <laughs> Google Eddie Albert Y Hero. The story, talk about making a movie. Make a movie about that. I mean, he literally stayed with these guys and brought them back two or three at a time, and it's crazy. Why he didn't get the Congressional Medal of Honor, I don't know. That's crazy. But he deserved Eddie Albert on Green Acres where everyone's doing LSD when they're shooting the shows. <laughs> All right, do we have one more? What do we have one more? We have he was one in the longest day along with everybody else. He was in the longest day. And he's in um, wow. Saving Private Ryan, too. Amazing. So he, he goes through all that battle and saves all these people, and then he is in a movie that... Well, he was he in the Pacific, a- and uh, he was in a couple of D-Day movies. But, I mean, to reenact something that was so yeah. yep. traumatic, yeah. That's, that's amazing. That would not happen nowadays. Yeah. His yeah. son was in the first movie about Midway. Oh, was he really? Yeah, yeah. He was one of the pilots, I think, shot down. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Then he spent 10 years with Zsa Zsa Gabor, so, you know. I guess that's his anyway. prize. Well, you should have gotten a medal for that. Yeah, you ain't. <laughs> was it Ava, Ava or Zsa Zsa? Was it Asia or Zsa Zsa? No one knows. We no, can't figure it out. It was Ava. Ava was the, was the sweeter one. Oh, really? Oh, Jim, you know, huh? Okay. <laughs> so what do we have? One more question left there, Lois? We do. We have one more question. Right, and go. it's anyone's game. Well, not really. But, <laughs> right, but we won't tell you who's losing. <laughs> it's right. still close. We could have a tiebreaker here. I'm still Beetlebaum here. Okay. <laughs> Before the uh, last question, we just want to say that we're having a good time tonight. But, you know, we like to think that it's for a good cause. And that's Homes for Our Troops. Just go online. Just go on Google and, and see what they're up to. They build homes for uh, veterans who were wounded in post 9-11 action. So maybe these folks don't have two arms and two legs, let's say. So they build the house so there's lower counter space and there's less stairs and things like that just to make their life a little easier. And then when it's completed, they rip up the mortgage, they give them the key, it's their house, and they don't have to worry about having a mortgage uh, to make, make every month. And they can go out and live you know, lives that um, yeah, they should be living because they gave so much for us. We should get back to them. So homes for our troops. Absolutely. It's a wonderful cause. Go on, Google. See what they're about. Bill Ivey, thank you very much for joining us tonight, for representing them. They're a great organization. How long have you been with them? I've been with them nine years. Uh, The president, back in 2014, asked me to come up here for a three-year tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, then you can go do what you want. And uh, I'm nine years into my three-year tour, so (laughs) I'm still doing what I want. uh, Where where were you before that? Great organization. We have a great team here. Yes. uh, Led by... Another trivia guy, Tom Lanemeyer. Yep. Who's yep. I think I like to tell you he's working or not, but he's screwing off at home. Well, right now. <laughs> trying, he deserves it. He's trying to win. He's, he's great trying opportunity to opportunity to, you know, build these single level homes mm-hmm. that are completely accessible to these men and women. What it really does is restore some of the freedom and independence. Yep. Not only financially, as you've mentioned with no mortgage, but physically, so that they don't have to rely on a spouse, a child, a parent, or a buddy just to do the basics of uh getting through life. Yep. And you see that in the, uh, just saying, uh, looking at the increased employment in our veterans goes up 123% mm-hmm. once they're in the homes. Mm-hmm. But what really jumped out at me when we did the survey of our guys and gals, spouse employment went up 273%. Mm-hmm. So they can focus yeah. on having a life also. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. Yeah, but you, good point. you also well. um, provide services beyond the, 
the the building of the home and giving it to them, right? Absolutely, Doreen. We we have six staff folks. All they do is stay in contact with our veterans. Uh, we keep building our network of other nonprofits, government entities, and corporations. So if we don't have the expertise to help them, we can link them up with an organization that does so they can overcome whatever hurdles they have moving forward with their lives. We also have a Veterans Action Advisory Team, which is right now seven veterans and spouses who do the peer mentoring. Mm-hmm. So although I could talk to our guys and gals, veteran to veteran, I can't talk mm-hmm. to them double leg amputee to double leg amputee. Yeah, yeah. And they can uh, they can give them the uh, the coaching and the counsel of someone who really understands what it's like, what it's like, whether it has to go through this as a veteran or go through it as a spouse or caretaker of a veteran. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, That's so the important. Three guys that have headed up that VAT and currently head the VAT just summited Mount Kilimanjaro uh, last wow. month really? uh, to wow. uh, show folks that uh, despite your disabilities, you can move forward, overcome them, mm. and the sky is the limit. That's wow. cool, man. Come on, we have to that clap. We have unbelievable. to. unbelievable. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Bill, for joining us. Really? Right, so here we go. The last Just question. Home, homes about troops. Go on Google and uh, see what they're about. How many homes have you built so, so far, Bill? We asked earlier. 353 are complete, and we have 77, 76 active projects. Wow, that's great. That's great, man. The real heroes tell you about that. So here we go. Ready? We are ready. We're kind of Hitler-centric tonight. <laughs> On April 30th, 1945, Adolf Hitler shot himself just as Berlin was about to be overrun by the Russians. Under normal circumstances, when a head of state dies, diplomatic offers of condolences pour in. But in this case, only three European countries sent their sympathies to the German embassy, and two of them, Spain and Portugal, had fascist governments. What was the only democratically elected European government that sent condolences to the Germans on the death of Hitler? Whoa. Got it? (laughs) Okay. A, Ireland. B, Switzerland. C, Sweden. D, Iceland. Wow. This is tough. Okay. Who of those four countries did send a uh, diplomatic um, letter of condolence on the death of Hitler? Okay. Let's say them again. A, Ireland. B, Switzerland. C, Sweden. D, Iceland. Jim. Ireland. Got to be Ireland. Juan Juan. Iceland. Bill Ivey. Switzerland. Phil O'Banes. Uh <laughs> What a question. Well, <laughs> just to make things lively, I'll say Sweden. There you go. Now right. we got them all covered. Ready? <laughs> right. I almost blew it earlier because I said, here we go with St. Patrick's Day. But A, it's Ireland. It it's is. Ireland. Right. Mm. Had to be Ireland. Yeah. On they, May... they, were, they worked with the Nazis. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're all Irish here. Take it easy. Anyway. <laughs> On May 2nd. Personal. Uh, exactly. It's Maloney. It's Maloney. Remember. All right. Here we go. <laughs> On May 2nd, <laughs> and it's 011, right? A Mick 011. That's right. <laughs> On May 2nd, 1945, Irish President Eamon de Valera went to the German embassy in Dublin and presented a letter of sympathy to the German ambassador. It's safe to say that de Valera, a strident Irish nationalist, was also extremely anti-British, and historians, and historians believe that was the reason for the diplomatic nicety. But his actions led to a years-long cold shoulder from the U.S. and Britain, who were less than enthusiastic in helping the Irish government in the lean times following the war. Okay. Wow. Hmm. Uh, yes. Do we need a tiebreaker? Absolutely break? shocking. Lois is sending me uh, secret messages. Secret messages. And okay. the message was, "Do we have a tiebreaker?" Because that was the last question. Yes. Go ahead. And uh, Doug slash one have 
five points, and Phil has five points. Go ahead. <laughs> um, we also have a tie between Bill and Jim with four, but okay. we have to. Well, the problem is, is that. Phil knows the tiebreaker. Oh. He, he sent it to me. <laughs> right, let me well, see if I can, Beetle question. Let me see if I can think of something. Right. There you go. <laughs> right. I only had three by my count. Three. Wait. Who? Jim. Me. Oh. One, two, three. Yep. She's trying to be nice to you, Jim. That's I all. did. I gave you a little uh, extra one there. You're oh, absolutely right. I'll be your agent either way. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. There you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, I so, said, Mac, I got an idea. How okay. about if Jim answers for me? Okay. Ooh. All right. Jim, you're going to answer for Phil, okay? Here's the tiebreaker. Answer? Huh? Yep, because what am I going to answer? The, question, the tiebreaker question against... Oh, the tiebreaker um, question. Yes. Against I, I suggested this question. Go ahead, Phil. Matt. Why don't you read it? Okay. All right. Well, Phil's, sure. Phil's going to read it. Perfect. I'll do it. Go ahead. Phil, go ahead and read it. Does he have... Well, he's probably getting... Well, the question is of the following three dictators, fascist dictators, which one is rank order them, pardon me, from oldest to youngest. In other Ooh. words, who had the earliest birth date and the latest birth date. Right. And the three dictators, pardon me, is not, I didn't mean to say fascist, I meant to say dictators, yep. period. Yep. So from these three dictators, rank order them from the earliest to the latest birth date. And the three are Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin. Okay, so, so of the three, you have to rank order them from oldest to youngest. Man, I'll tell you, I, I don't, I am. Um, Luckily, you don't have to answer. Yeah, right. I'm just trying to. I don't know the answer though. It's funny. Uh, okay, all right. Okay, so um, Jim, rank them. Yeah, okay. who's the oldest, and who's how are they ranked in, in age? Who's the oldest? Right. Who's the youngest? Hmm. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's I'm going to say Stalin was the oldest. Okay. And then, and then Hitler, and then Mussolini. Okay, so Stalin, Hitler, and Mussolini. Go ahead, okay. Wani. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Exactly. Oh, great. That's, that's how they look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny enough. Bill Ivey. Bill Ivey. I'll go Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin. Okay. Mussolini in the middle, Stalin's the youngest. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So Phil, tell everyone's in. Tell us the answer. Uh, Stalin was born, I if I remember correctly, 1878. Mm -hmm. Mussolini was 1883. And Hitler had just celebrated his 56th birthday. He was He's, 1889. Okay. He was so the youngest. Stalin was Mussolini in the middle. Yeah. Hitler the youngest. He's, wow, so he he was the youngest guy. Think of that. He was fifty six oh. years old and he had done all that, you know? And he's yeah. and when you see that last film of him, he looks like he's ninety six years old. You <laughs> well, know, he had a rough few years. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's called World War Two, getting your ass bombed. So anyway, okay, so who who wins that? So Will Jim got that one. Okay. So that point goes to Phil. Yes, right. So Phil is our champion. Phil, okay, let's go. Oh, thank you, Jim. There you go. My pleasure. Jim, that's great. Nice job. Okay, job. Phil. So the show, Mac Maloney's Military X Files, is happy to give you a hundred dollars for winning tonight. Well, 
I would love to donate my hundred dollars to Homes for Our Troops. Okay. If you all right. All right. Yes. Well, yes. Thank you so, so much, Phil. Us. We will gladly accept it. Okay, <laughs> that's cool, man. Homes for Our Troops. Homes for Our Troops. Just Google them. See what they're about. They're a great organization. We're gonna take a break now, Bill. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Back Money's Military Excel Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. My dad, he's a double amputee, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. Homes for Our Troops built this house, and my dad can get through the wide doorways. He can reach anything. Homes for Our Troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Macaroni's Military Science Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macaroni. Well, what a show we're in the middle of. We had World War II trivia at the first half of the show. Not bad. Let me introduce the members of the posse. In the studio with us, demanding higher billing now, is the lovely Lois Lane. Lois. Hi, Mac. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. It was a great trivia contest we've had. Thank you. Okay. It's good to have your kiss of approval. <laughs> More or less. Too bad. Yeah. All right. Calm down there, Wani. Uh, also, you said you said the secret words, say the secret word, and win a hundred dollars. There you go, across the puddle <laughs> is our good it's friend. something you commonly find around the house. Juan, 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 how's things over there? Hey, it's okay. The fish and chips are dynamite, mm-hmm. and the Guinness beer is flowing like crazy. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be in, indoctrinate, indoctrinated, go ahead. inducted into a, uh, a social club. Really, it's a pub with uh, where you 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 know you dress up, you know. You, Dress up. Really? No, not really. Okay. No, you're right. a new experience, right? Well, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a schlub like some of the other pubs, you know. But it's, it's pretty cool. A lot of good fellows there, and I was a temporary member, and I'm going to be a permanent member. But but wow. aren't they gambling then? next Tuesday. Aren't they, don't, isn't there a lot of gambling? 30 in the evening. Isn't there a lot of gambling yeah. going on in, in those social clubs? Aren't they really fronts for gambling? Yeah, there's all kinds of shenanigans going on. Really clubs, cool, yeah. and you have to get dressed up for it. That's cool. No, I have to get dressed. But just you can't be really, you know, tatted and like right off the docks, you know. Okay, like, all right, or off the beach, as it turns out. Believe it or not, they don't want you to wear a hat. In like, there's a function room, then there's the regular pub part. The regular really? pub part, you can sort of dress any way you want. Then there's a function room where they have bands and hmm. dancing, and it's sort of a family thing. Wow, well, huh? Uh, you got to wear, you know, wear a, wear a decent shirt. You can wear jeans, but. You can't wear like a ball cap or wear what I'm wearing. You can no hats. The Mac Maloney look. Okay, yeah, interesting. How much? What are the dues? Uh, it's only twenty five pounds a year. Wow, that's not bad. Hmm. Yeah, it's really cheap, and right. the, the drinks are a lot cheaper. And they know you're American, you know, right? They know they you're know American. American. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Now they they busted my groin during the uh, groin. The, the soccer games, which they call football here, yes. because uh, USA was in the was in the finals of the World Cup. Yes, yes. They didn't make it all the way, but they did play England. Yes. I'm rooting I'm rooting for USA and everybody else is rooting for England, but they said they wouldn't they weren't gonna beat me up or kill me or anything. They just said my my beers would be co- would would cost me double. I'm rooting okay. for Ted Lasso. All right, that beats <laughs> yeah. Ted Lasso. Beats getting your ass beat in, I guess. I don't know. So 
Uh, that is a good show. Well, well thanks for joining us. Uh, also, uh, my literary agent down there in North Carolina, Jim Frankel of Jim Frankel Associates. Jim, how are you doing? I'm good. You know, you're talking about spy movies. Yes. There's a spy TV show that uh, I really like. It's uh, called Liaison. Okay. Um, it's a, it's French. Um, and it's I, I think it's quite good. Yeah. Uh, it's just started a few just like three weeks ago. And um, it's nasty. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's it's, really? it's uh, whoever is you know there's bad stuff happening. It's all it's very it's contemporary. It's on Netflix contemporary. It's, yeah, no, yeah, it's not Netflix. It's um, it's Amazon Prime. It's I think it's Apple. It's Apple. Oh, Apple, oh, Apple TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's quite good. Hmm. It stars uh, Vincent Cassell, who's the son of um, what's his name Cassell Jean Pierre Cassell. I oh believe. him. Yeah. And uh, Eva Green, whose mother trying to remember her mother's name but her mother is also an actress and um mm -hmm. uh it, it's there's a lot of sparks between those two even though they're on they're not on the same side necessarily but wow. it's it's very good french it's, it's yes, really, french french production yes, it, it, it's originally in french the neat thing is that you can get it um you can have the the um you can get the the audio to be in any language. Oh yeah, yeah, want. sure, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, the dub version. I didn't know you yeah. could do that. Um, you know, That's we've got uh, English subtitles. Uh, no, I mean uh, closed captioning. Yes, yes. But um, so I, I let it happen in the in French, so I can hear the French because I, I I used to speak French pretty well. Really. So it's nice to be able to catch up. You know, to hear yes. it, so I can sure. keep my French pretty good. Yes. Um, but but the English subtitles help too. Uh, also. Uh, doesn't need any subtitles. Our good friend Philip Baines <laughs> out there in Manchester. Now, where are you exactly? You're, you're, Manchester and Magnolia. Magnolia, which is, with a which is actually part of Gloucester, which is mm -hmm. well, it, we, which we is can, very cool. We can I say love it's, it's, it's I love Magnolia. Yeah, it's 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 the um, Manchester by the sea, the whole yeah, area. Yeah. It's no whaling parts. anymore, right? <laughs> no whaling. No, 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 no whaling. No. I don't know if there ever was Jim. I, I know, that, of course, fishing was very very prevalent here until. Restrictions were placed on what types of fish yeah, could be caught. Right. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, oh. we we happened to have moved here in 2006. And since we're just outside Gloucester Harbor, we could see every imaginable type of fishing boat when it would go out <laughs> day or night. Mm -hmm. And we could, over time, figure out whether it was going for lobster or shrimp or swordfish or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see virtually no fishing boats now. Wow. These days, really. That's how much the industry has disappeared up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's a good. I'm sorry. That's a good question. Was there whaling out of Gloucester? I don't think. I don't think I've ever heard the two. I, no, mentioned. I think it was all. Fishing. I think it was all out of um, Connecticut. You know, like Mystic Connecticut yep. and, and seaports mm. on the Connecticut and Nantucket. Now, on the other hand, Salem, Massachusetts, was a big seaport for imports from Asia. Mm -hmm. You know, the um, the merchants would take those long sails over to the Far East. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And they'll come back months later with all manner of exotic goods. But that was uh, trade. That wasn't sure. know, fishing. A lot of those uh, ships were built in Newburyport, kind of where we are. They built the yeah. clipper ships in Newburyport. Would those ships go through the Panama Canal or is or? No, no, no. no they wasn't would go around in. the Cape of Good Horn. They'd go they the, the long way. Man, that's, that's Ooh, tough. Wow. That's tough. That's a heck of a trip yeah, you ain't well you know if you're going to the spice well, not the spice if you're going to japan um i don't know how much difference it makes japan japan and um 
China were the main port or the main countries that Salem uh, sea captains would um, have trade with. Mm. Mm. It's still kind of exotic down there, to tell you the truth. You go down to Salem. I think it's safe to say it's an exotic place, but there are there are kind of stores down there that have like Oriental stuff, and uh, even in Rockport, I don't know. I'm sure it's just stuff that they have the, those kind of stores that look like they've been there for a hundred years, you know. So, um, so we're going to talk about our favorite spy movies, okay? And I was talking off here. I'm just um, reading this book, which I recommend. It's called. Um, Love and Let Die, and it's basically the story, the parallel stories of the success of the Beatles and also the James Bond movies and books, but mostly the movies uh, in, in the UK in the 60s and the early 70s. And um, it's a really good book, uh, Love and Let Die, and there's so many different parallels and connections uh, between uh, the, Beatle, the Beatles and the 007 movies. A lot of the scores were, you know, a number of the scores were done by George Martin, for instance. He was the Beatles' yeah. producer. Sure. Uh, McCartney oh, yeah. wrote... You know, the score to Live and Let Die. There's a lot of, sure. uh, you know, just like a lot of connections between those two, you know. Um, even though uh, Ian Fleming, who wrote the James Bond books, was not a big Beatles fan. He was kind of like a snob. But um, of all those movies, like the early movies, uh, even, even the books aren't really greatly written. And the early movies, they didn't have the special effects knowledge to make them cool. So, you know, some of the stuff was really kind of corny. But the, of them all, I mean, I, I like them all, the Goldfinger and Thunderball and you know, the ones that really have, like, a lot of action and stuff in them. Um, but do you remember the one where Sean Connery came back? It wasn't even part of the uh, Cubby Broccoli 007 films. It was just a independent production. It's called Never Say Never Again. Brought him out of retirement, and he right. kind of reprised it. That's, to me, that's the best James Bond movie with Sean Connery. It's just, I it's, thought it was, too. Best you know, it, action scenes yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, I mean, it, they had to make it really good to bring him back, I'm assuming, because he hated playing the character. That was yeah. a really good movie. you know. That's, and then the others were, just got so corny. And the ones lately, we went to go see one. It was a few years ago. It like, lives to die another day or something like that. And yeah. it had that guy in it. You know, he was okay, but the script made no sense. Literally. Daniel this, Craig? Uh, Daniel Craig, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, just... Um, I don't know. They, the, the, the stories just aren't there. Even the ones with Pierce Brosnan in them are really kind of hard to follow. You know, they're like Mission Impossible films. It's like impossible. To, that's the Mission Impossible. It's impossible to follow them. But anyway. You know what attracted attracted me to some of the recent movies was Judy Dench playing M. Oh, uh, she's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. I watched Judy Dench play anything. Yeah, she's good. Yeah. And yep. she played M. I thought she did a really good job in and and I thought the storylines on those two movies that she was in were fantastic. Yeah, were they uh, Daniel Craig movies? Yeah, yes. they were. They, yeah. they knocked him off, so he's gone. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. did they? They knocked him they off. They set up a black woman to be the new James Bond. Yeah, it's going to be like that. I think yep. so. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of the the hint. Yeah, they will run yeah. three of those, and then they'll get someone else. I mean, look at how many people have been James Bond when you really think about it. Say, you know, more yeah. people than like Batman. How many people have been Batman? That it tells you something. You know, I think people think. Of 007 is Sean Connery. No matter how old you are, you've seen those old movies. Right. You know he's the guy. If you've seen those old movies, right, right. And then what's and his name? Roger Moore. Happened. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, young kids don't care about that stuff. And that's <laughs> that's the other thing too that they bring out in this book is that because Ian Fleming was this really kind of staunch conservative guy in the UK, and he and all his friends just would do anything just to preserve the aristocracy and. England, which is basically the royal family and all their, you know, family members and stuff like that. You know? But as I said, he he wanted to, 
you know, he, he wanted to raise his, what am I trying to say? Raise his, not his profile, but his, his status. His status. status, right, yeah. right. Social status. Yeah, among the aristocracy. And as I said before, but they rejected him because they said he was writing trash. So here's a, this aristocrat making money, writing what they consider trash. And then on the other hand, you have the Beatles, who are the last thing, not aristocrats, nowhere near the royal family. And they have this incredible success. And, and, and it just put England on its head because no one could, no one could explain it. You know, why are these four hicks, you know, basically. Working class boys. Yeah, right. you know. And, and some of the stuff they did, like 20 years old. You know, there's interviews with John Lennon. He sounds like he's been to Harvard and back. You know, he's just they're really smart guys, you know. And they yeah. handled the They were all pretty articulate. They, real, articulate. They, knew, they knew how to present, as they say in the business. Yeah. You know, they knew how to present. And they talked back to the right. press. That was another thing. They talk, they're the first ones to talk back to the press right. and, and joke. Yeah, we're more popular than Jesus. Well, that's <laughs> who, you know. They're not, they weren't far off the mark there either, you know. But As my wife has very often commented, the lyrics that they were writing when they were 26 years old, uh, it's, it's almost like a disconnect that a 26-year-old can have such insight and wisdom. Yes, uh, yeah. You know, normally, I mean, if I look at myself, maybe I had it when I was 50. Right, right. How would they know? Yes, yeah. right. And a lot of this. No, they, were, they were brilliant. They really were yeah. just brilliant. And many I, I, I tend to think that part of their brilliance was the fact that McCartney and Lennon worked together and they were such different guys. Right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yep. You know, and that creative tension between the two of them, whenever there is creative tension between, you know, two creators, it, it makes them much better. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Guys. Well, that's they what were they Jagger were. And Richards. That's why when they worked separately, the material didn't come off Not as nearly good. as well as when they worked together. Right. Not sure. with, with a few exceptions. You know, some of George yeah. Harrison's stuff I really liked, and some of McCartney's stuff I really liked, yeah. and some of John Lennon's stuff right. I yes. really liked. But it, they weren't the right. Beatles. It wasn't no. the Beatles after they broke up, that's for sure, you know. But Lennon was much better when he had McCarthy to, to rub against. McCartney. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. You know, because Definitely. he knew, see, McCartney, now that we've turned this into a Beatle discussion, <laughs> but and we're going to have a music show coming up very soon. But yes. McCartney's idea is, you know, that, that as much romance as you can stuff into a song, it's fine, hmm. you know. And Lennon right. was his kind of, his detail, his guardrail. You know what I mean? And right. he'd say, you know, that's too sappy. You know, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, and he brought that kind of cynical angle into McCartney's, yeah. uh, you know, over the top, you know, romanticism. And you had this kind of weird hybrid of stuff, you know? I mean, even yep. in that song, Getting Better, they go, you know, things are getting better. And Lennon goes, they can't get much worse. Can't get you know, much worse. That's perfect. Right. You know? Perfect. Well, you know, remember also, Lennon was really into wordplay. Yeah. If you've yeah. ever read any of his poetry, it's crazy stuff. He had two books out by the time he was 22. Big books. The same publisher as Ian Fleming, as it turns out. So, That's uh, true. You know, he's a very, they're very literate guys, and they had no reason to be, other than the fact that they went after it themselves. They looked, they went on and discovered it themselves, you know. They, they went looking for right. literary works and stuff like that. And Lennon, always with the word plays and doodling and writing poetry. You know, they're very artistic. Well, there's one other reason why they were literate. You want to know what it is? Go ahead. British education. Okay. All right. I've heard a lot of bad All things right. about it, but go ahead. It taught them how to read and write. And to... Literacy is, mm -hmm. is a big deal in, in, in British education. Yeah. Yeah. That I can is. see. I yeah. can see that. But you're also, at, at least, you know, what I've read in this book and earlier is that the class system over there, I think it's hard for Americans to understand 
But at an early age, you're either going to be up here or down here, and and you really don't have that much choice about it. It depends on what school you go to when you're a teenager, basically. And the the Beatles went to art school, and you know, and Ringo went to like plumbing school or something, you know. And and he's just lucky he's not a plumber, you know. I mean, it's very hard to break out once you've been labeled you're a worker and you're not. Um, you know, even 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 Keith Richards of the Stones and Charlie Watts, they were graphic designers, these guys, yeah. you know. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they were smarter than, you know, being. Yeah, they went to art college. Yeah. And Ron, also. No, Ron Wood is, it turned out to be the, an artist, more yeah. of the artist than anybody yeah. as far as uh, real art was concerned. So anyway, just to wrap up, my favorite 007 movie is uh, Never Say Never Again. I just think it's a cool movie. It, it sticks in my mind more than any of the other movies. Phil, you must have a good James Bond movie or a good spy movie. Well, I just remember that when I was old enough to get my license, that um, my best friend and I got in my car that my dad had um, fixed up for me, and we lived in southern New Jersey. By the way, this is coming to James Bond. And we were far removed from Philadelphia, which was the nearest big city, by about 70 miles. But outside of Philadelphia was one of the first shopping malls in the country at Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Hmm, and we, good. on a Saturday, drove up to Cherry Hill just to say that we've been there and, you know, heaven knows what we bought. But our major destination was the nearest movie theater that was playing From Russia with Love. Oh, cool. Right. Okay. That's the first. That was the first James Bond movie yes. that I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And I must admit, looking back on it at the time, it really blew me away. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. And I think that really was a good story. You know, the, it's the suspense of the train ride mm-hmm. and, and also having Robert Shaw as the, uh, you know, the double agent villain. Yep. Uh, He's great I, as a I villain. I just thought that was terrific. Yeah, that was good. And, um, I mean, Goldfinger is a good movie. I mean, it's a kind of suspenseful movie. It's crazy at the end. You know, they take over Fort Knox and, you know, it's like a little war right down. Oh, yeah. thing. But, you know, and then the one a Thunderball where they 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 uh, snatch the space the, the shuttle. Computer, you know, bomber. You know, uh, the bomber, right? Yeah, the the um, the big Vulcan bomber. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I I, I liked all that stuff. Um, you ever see one of those in person? By the way, in a museum. No, uh, a Vulcan. That no, was the biggest Delta wing plane you could ever imagine. Yeah, yeah, huh? Uh, you know that. Um, not to dump on the British because we have lots of British listeners, but you know, in that plane, that the pilots, the officers had ejection seats, and the enlisted people down the bottom of the plane did not have ejection seats. Oh, yeah. So there's your class system once again. Okay. So they're in steerage, huh? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Right. And they had a hatch, literally a hatch that they could open and, and go down through the hatch and hope the parachute fit through it, you know, as the bomber is crashed. So, um, uh, is, well, I get it. Uh, go about Goldfinger. Yes. There's there's two things in Goldfinger that I really love. First, the the scene where the the car is crushed mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. nobody had ever done that Audra. in a movie before. Yeah, you've seen it a million times since. You know, though. Yep. I, I had no idea that that there was such a thing as you know a place where cars get go to die and yeah. get crushed into little box, you know, little, a box. little boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do it um, in the movie and, with a guy in the trunk. I mean, that's what happens. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah. But the other scene is the scene where where Bond, where Sean Connery is getting the getting his ass handed to him yes. by Oddjob. I mean, he's Oddjob is so much stronger yep. than Bond. I mean, he's getting killed by this guy. <laughs> and then he figures out that he's got a way to end it. And he, and, he, and he electrocutes Ajab right. by, by, you know, getting him to go to, to get his hat 
you know, and it's stuck to this to this metal rod sticking up yes and he and he connects the the electricity to it and that's it for our job i mean i thought that was a really smart <laughs> scene and, and really suspenseful yes and then when he uh, goes and he's trying to disarm this nuclear bomb that's in fort knox basically and he's right. trying to he's trying to figure it out and then when he finally figures it it's ticking down the whole time at the end of that well, moment it's ticking down and then he finally stops it, and it stops on 007, which I always thought was kind of cool. Right. But, but what's also cool about Sean Connery, for a second, is like he would do stuff like, you know, he'd be trapped. You know, people are chasing him through a hotel or something. He's going in through the rooms. People chasing him with guns, and he would stop and like take a couple of grapes, you know, from the bowl, you know, and eat the grape. It's just like so cool and calm. You can't believe it. You know, that really right. came across with with. Sean Connery. I thought it was just the fact that he was the, his demeanor was, he was very. He was able cool. to pull it off smoother than than the other. I agree. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah, he's just the best. He's he's the he he just he is James Bond. You know, he just you know fit the he just fit the character perfectly when they. And they, yet he was a weightlifting milkman. Right. Yeah. Who was in a lot of movies? He was in The Longest Day. He has a bit part in The he Longest was. Day. Yeah. A, a short he part, a but a part nonetheless. He, he, he was a milkman. He was a milkman before he got to be famous and yeah. a weightlifter. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah. Harrison Ford was a carpenter. That's right. Yeah. And, and he know. was fairly old when he got started in movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also yeah. a pilot, not a good one, but you know, he's had a couple of crashes. Oh, but you mean Ford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so uh Juan, do you have a why do James Bond movies okay. get such a bad rap from uh, you know the, the the folks that say, Oh, it's the, the movies are so sexist and they're very misogynist they and they're very you name it. Well, they the are. They Most of them are. The te- yeah, some Many of them are really, are. really bad. Bond. I mean, the, the Sean Connery ones are certainly sexist, for sure. Every mm-hmm. In the early ones, every woman he sleeps with. So what? It's, that's part of, the, well, that's in, part of the gig. That's part of the movie. In the early. Well, yeah. That, that's okay. part of the prurient, pur- prurient interest that Juan Juan personally has in some of the movies. <laughs> by, by, wow. by virtue of the fact that the characters, particularly the female characters, have such clever names. Oh, okay, all yes. right, yeah, we know. Well, yeah. Which I won't go into because this is a family show. But it's very well scripted in that regard. And I think that's, to me, that, that ticks the box. All right, here we go. For me, for uh, James Bond movies. But, 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 in the early but, movies, in the early movies, every woman that James Bond is with gets murdered. That's right. Okay, that's what's something that Ian which Fleming. Is, which is a terrible thing. I yeah, mean, I mean, he yeah, built those into his books. It, some yeah, of the stuff right. is really bad. And that was Diana Rigg for crying there out loud. Why would you do that? So, uh, yeah, they got away from that. But then some of those early ones, they're tough to watch. Some of them are. Mm-hmm. And then the way they treat women, I'm sorry. You know, they. Uh, yeah, no, it was bad. Yeah. So, Juan, do you have a favorite spy movie? Oh, I was just going to say the spy. Yeah, the two other spy movies I like. Spy Who Came In From the Cold, Richard Burton, is just an old kind of film noir. You know, it's, it's, yeah. you can sit down and watch it if you can, you know, connect all the dots. It's cool. And also that movie with um, Tom uh, Hanks in it, The Bridge of Spies. It's that's a great, great movie. Yeah, good movie. Super movie. Um, you, you can you can follow. It's a real kind of complete movie. And then the one I know that Phil and I have talked about over and over is um, Tinker Taylor. What is it? Tinker Taylor. Smiley's People. Smiley's yeah, Smiley's People was great. Brilliant. Yep, yep. Really good on, on PBS. So anyway, one, you have a favorite spy movie? Uh, I'm stumbling for favorite, but um, I, I'm thinking of another Sean Connery movie, but it wasn't a 007 movie. Um, with Catherine Zeta Jones, 
Oh, um, yeah, they're in uh, Hong Kong there with the two skyscrapers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was mm, that? I don't I do want to Google that. it or IMDb it. I'm just, it, I'm just drawing a blank on that yeah. title. But he wasn't uh, James Bond. Was he James Bond in that? I don't think so. He's just some. Um, no, he wasn't. Cops. It was a non-James Bond movie, but he yep. was in it. A lot of that is shot in that uh, those dual towers they have in Singapore. I think you know, they're like a mile high or something. Right, There's a, or, or was that was that Malaysia? Yeah, Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I think you're right, Phil. Some of the cinematography just make you dizzy, you know, just thinking about it. They had a lot of something. That's quite a while ago, too. Hey, I'm going to throw this uh, quickly over to Lois. Lois, do you have any uh, favorite spy movie? Spies Like Us with Dan Aykroyd? Okay, she's giving me the. Come on, you must no. play. Uh, have you ever gone to it? Have we ever dated and gone to a 007 movie? That you can remember? No. No? Wow. It's not my, it's not I my style. I think the Austin Powers movies does it for me sometimes. Uh, oh, uh, well, very good. Does that count? Hey, I, I saw I that. I remember the name no. of that movie. I think it was Entrapment. Entrapment, <laughs> yeah, yes. That's that ring that's a bell? Yeah, that's it. Yep, yep, yep. That was a good movie. Did you just recall that? Because I Googled it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually a good movie. Yeah, with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. She, oh, Catherine Zeta. She films the last, I can remember the last scene is they meet in a subway. They don't end, it doesn't end cute. You know, it looks like they're going to be romantically connected to the knot. And she's in a trench coat because they had to redo the ending. And by the time they did, she was with child, as they say. So at the ending, she's in the, you know, the rest of the movie, she's in bikinis and the works. But this, you know, she's in like almost like a spy trench coat. Works. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So anyway. Why don't we My do favorite this? spy movies, okay. the 39 Steps. Oh, yeah, That's great movie, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock movie. a great movie. book, too, a great book that it's based on. That was probably 1939. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Really good movie, 39 Steps. It's 39 little plot twists, right? Not the 39 well, Steps. Well, the 39 Steps is something else. Mm -hmm. But there's supposed to be 39 plot twists in it as well. Well, right. are there really 39 plot twists? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of plot twists in that movie, yep. that's for sure. Anyway, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, he did a couple spy movies. Um, Vertigo. Sure. Was Vertigo kind of a spy movie? Uh, no. Or spy, the Man no. Who Knew Too Much. The Man Who Knew Too Much also. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. And also uh, The Lady Vanishes. Right, yep, yep. And North by Northwest is also And North spy. by Northwest. Yeah, with Cary Grant. What? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Someone has said, did a, you know, that's considered in film school as like a real classic, you know, North by Northwest. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that movie. But someone said, you know, what's the point of him getting on a bus, going out in the middle of the Kansas City or wherever it is, cornfields, <laughs> right. and have an yeah. airplane shoot at him? Just go up and shoot him. You know what I mean? Why would you have, you know, other yeah. than for cinematic purposes, why would you have a, Crop duster, you know, mow him down straight. It's a great movie. I mean, it's great. It's a real airplane. It's, it's fantastic. A, yeah, it's one of the greatest no scenes sense. of all time. Yep. but it's great. It's a great scene. Yep. Yeah, but almost like an unnecessary scene in a way. Great yeah. movie. Oh, absolutely. North by Northwest. Um, yeah. Okay. Any other good? Uh, any other spy movies favorites of yours, Jim? Well, oh, we're going one I like the um, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the original, also. Okay. Which is. You know, not a serious spy movie, but it's definitely got its points. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. I mean, it's a totally different sort of movie, but yeah, yeah. Know, the I, Secret I, Life I of like, Wealth of Mitty. Really like that. Who's in that? Danny Kay. Oh, Dan oh wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, must be light hat. Veronica, Veronica Lake or Virginia Mayo. Hmm. I always get the I two. Of them. I think it's Virginia Mayo. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Juan, do you have any uh, spy movies that aren't R-rated? 
Actually, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, I don't know. I got to go back in time, uh, and I'm just drawing a blank on some of the titles here. You know, the Spyro came in from the cold. That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty good. That was all right. We got that because I, I was I was a huge rich, I was a huge rich uh, Richard Burton fan, and you know, I like him no matter what he does, mm -hmm. whether he's a Roman or if he's a a pilot as as he was in. Uh, in the longest day, the guy can do anything. So that's was why he, I like the movie. Was he also in a bridge too far? Um, hmm. sure. I don't remember, hmm. but it seems like his type of movie. So. Richard Burton, yeah. Um, uh, he, I don't think he so. was in a bridge too far. No, he's in D Day. He was in uh, the longest day for sure. And he yeah. was in that that movie with Clint Eastwood where they were sabotaging a German installation. Oh, that's oh, yeah. uh, the uh, Iga sanction. The Iga sanction. Yeah, right. That was a pretty good movie. That was written by a guy who was at uh, my film school, Emerson College. He was—I forget his really? name, but yeah, yep, yep. He, he wrote that under a, a pen name, but the real guy actually was uh, the writer in residence at Emerson, and then he left. And Tim O'Brien, who wrote my favorite book of all time, took over, uh, going after Cacciato. It was my favorite book. And uh, oh, really, yep. it's a, it's a very good book. I should have went in and introduced myself to him, but I never did. Didn't have the because to do it, but. Yeah, anyway, so... Um, Does anybody have an opinion about those, what is it, Nat Damon movies, The Born? The Born Identity. A, a, I mean, where well, you're talking yeah, about I all these classics. I think they're right? good. I, I like them. A lot of action. They're very exciting. Yeah, a lot of action, for sure. I went to a UFO conference. Now, <clears throat> not to uh, blur the lines here, but I went to a UFO conference once, and one of the speakers got up and claimed, that, and this guy, I hate to say it, but he looked like Bonnie Fife. <laughs> and it looks like he was from May Mayberry, okay? Sorry, Jim. I know you don't saw. But <clears throat> he um, got up there and claimed that uh, – what was the, what's the guy – what's Bourne's first name? Uh, Jason? Jason? No, Jason. Jason Bourne. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Jason Bourne was his neighbor and grew up next to him, next door to him in West Virginia somewhere. And when Jason Bourne went off and became this, you know, hero, they stayed in touch – and so on and so forth. And I'm sitting there, and I, and, and I forget who I was with. I said, isn't Jason Bourne like a fictional character? Isn't, isn't he in England? <laughs> What's this guy talking about? Yet he He's was there. And, by Robert Ludlum. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This guy got a standing ovation because he and Jason <laughs> Bourne were buddies. Okay, that's the state of the UFO, you know, these days. Anyway, UFO. Um, uh, you know, I went to school with, uh, you know, with the, the guy in uh, Damn Yankees, you know, what? I mean, that was a real guy. You know that, right? No, please explain. Please. <laughs> Which guy? Which guy? They got well, the that's pitch? about as real as Jason Bourne is. Yeah, yeah, right. That's exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Living next door. Yeah, I know. I know. But no one else knew that Jason Bourne was a fictional character, I guess, <sighs> but me. That's you know. So, And this guy had written a book and, you know, the works. You know, in the UFO community, I meant to say, you can get away with anything. It is. I hate yeah. to say it. Yeah. You can publish your own book. You can say anything you want. And that's what creates all the noise. Strieber. There we go. Yeah, someday we'll do a show, an entire show on him. So listen, uh, lo the lovely Lois Lane has given me a signal. What is the signal? Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> Let me I'm see that sure. signal. Lois, let's no. see that signal. <laughs> um, um, I was giving him a smile. She I have no idea. A smile and a wink. That means oh. we're going to have oh. to uh, let's uh, bring the show to an end. If Switchy was here, he'd put a uh, the graphic of the train crashing into the station. 
Right. Let me start off by saying thank you to Phil O'Beans. We're going to give him a round of applause. Yes, nice job. Thank Champion. You, Champion. Champion. All right. It was delightful to be here. Thanks. Mm. With, the, with the questions to, you're, you're the game master. Were the questions too involved? You can tell no, me. No, no. I, I, I personally love the questions because they were, <clears throat> um, we all wanted to know the answers. Yeah. But none of the answers were, were particularly obvious from prior study. Oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. Even the USS tuna fish. Yeah. I, I thought everyone would get that. <laughs> anyway, Phil, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate Phil O'Bain's of uh, Winning Moves. Yeah. Uh, we really thank appreciate you. it. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Jim Frankel, thank you very much. Franklin Associates Literary Agency. Thank you, Jim. My, appreciate it. Sorry my, about the Mets. My pleasure. Okay. Sorry <laughs> for the what? Uh, sorry about the Mets. Oh, well, don't worry about them. All right. They'll be okay. They'll, They'll be okay. okay. Just yes and no. All right. Yes and no to this. Bet against Princeton or not? Uh, no. No? I would not bet against wow. Princeton because mm. there will be a spread, and I think they'll beat the spread. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Okay. We might have to cut that out as well. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see this weekend. Then. Thank you. Wani, thank you. Really appreciate it as always. You're welcome. Talk Pleasure. to you very soon. All right. Just want to and uh, thank you, Lois. I'll thank you twice. How's that? Yep. Okay. That would be great. Thank, thank you, Doreen, too. Yeah. And keep it so <laughs> right. We'll, we'll pass that on to Doreen as well. <laughs> That's right. And thanks Easy. to Bill Ivey for joining us from Home Star Troops and also uh, Doug Bowling for joining us earlier on the show. And so this is Mac for the entire gang. So you hear us next time. Please be safe, be happy, and bye bye. And now, please stay tuned for a bonus segment of Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show.
since I've seen her face, I pray she's doing fine. I still recall our sad last day, how it hurts so bad to see her cry. I didn't want to say goodbye Send her my love Memories remain Send her my love Roses never